Hi, I'm George Tekmachov. This is Eastern Target Podcast number 145 here with Steve the Big Cat Anderson for the final wrap-up of Tokyo 2020. Steve, it was an epic week in Tokyo. No doubt the weirdest Olympic Games I've ever seen with those empty stands. And it had to be just that weird for the athletes. I, I talked to a couple of them and Man, I'll tell you, everybody's relieved and glad and happy that the thing was able to be accomplished. But just let's hope that we never have another one exactly like this again. Yeah. Um, they, You know, I, I'm not going to say it was a, a bad Olympic Games. I think it was as good of an oh, no. Olympic Games as we could ask for. Absolutely. So, totally agree. Yeah. Totally agree. We don't want to have to do it like that. That's the truth. No, no. And I, you know, at the end of the day, Nobody 20 years from now is really going to be fixated on the fact that the stands were empty or whatever, or even, you know, the pandemic hopefully will be a distant memory. But at the end of the day, we still got all those countries together safely. We didn't have any problems at our venue that I'm aware of related to the pandemic. All the safety protocols were in place. There were no problems that I'm aware of. And we have new Olympic champions. And going back months, conversations with Tom Dillon, that was the goal. So the goal has been met. And now we can continue to move forward. Got a world championship coming up in just under two months. And we're looking at a situation where we've got the Paralympics in between. Um, Archery continues to roll on with fits and starts and stutters. But continues to roll on. And nowhere was that more evident than here at Yumanishima Park in Tokyo, where we saw some spectacular archery getting into Saturday, the final day of those Olympic Games. Those finals were a combination of shocking, unexpected results and brilliant performance. I, I think you might agree. Yeah, my my exact words were, you know, there were some, like you said, some unexpected results, but but for me, nothing really surprised me. There, you know, I could see most everything playing out the way it did, um, you know, including I, I didn't think Kim Woo Jin was going to lose, but at that that stage, anyone can win, right? So it's not surprising when you see an upset take place. Um, going further than that, you know, in, in my, in my heart, I truly believed as we talked about the one eighth round in our uh, previous show that previewed the men's round, I truly believed that if Brady won his first match and Meta won his first match, I thought that's going to be the biggest hurdle for, for both of them to clear, you know, and whoever wins that, going to probably go on to win this. Obviously, you get in the gold medal match, the guy on the other side doesn't care if you beat Brady or whatever. You know, he's there too because he shot well. But um, it just seemed to me that that was going to be where the momentum would come from. Yeah, yeah. And you turned out to be right. But, you know, let's maybe it might have some value for us to go through the quarterfinals. Florian Unruh, the archer from Germany, just crushed it in the one eighth. He he had a very surprising performance, right? By any measure. And then he goes up against Mauro Nespoli. Now, Mauro Nespoli, one of the more experienced guys on the field, he and Brady and Takahara Furukawa and Kim Wujin, uh, and also Florian Unruh, all very experienced shooters. But of all the guys on this field, Mauro Nespoli you know, he has had the experience of winning the team gold medal, the London Olympic Games. He has done very well in European competition. He's done well in world competition. But he's not technically the most proficient shooter out there. You know, he's got some, shall we say, form stuff going on. And one of the solutions he has for some of the form stuff he has going on is he's shooting a freaking 62-pound bow. He just makes up for it with strength. I yeah, <laughs> brute strength. And and literally, it's brute strength against finesse in any one of the matches that Nespoli found himself in. That brute strength 
might arguably have some advantage in the wind. And by no means was this not a windy venue. This was a windy venue, as predicted, as expected, as anybody like me who's shot there knows, wind is a factor. So arguably, Nespoli shooting that X-10 325, reasonably heavy arrow, right? And a 62-pound recurve bow, which if you folks, if you haven't tried to draw and hold and pull through a clicker, a 62-pound bow, you better have your strength game on to do it over and over again at that level. Under pressure, Even, especially. Oh, my word. Yeah, because, you know, you're talking about an adrenaline dump. You're talking about your heart rate going up. You know, it, it might not actually pull strength out of you, but it's certainly going to feel like certain parts have gone weak. You know, people sometimes get rubbery legs and, and things like that. Well, uh, just the, the duration of, like you said, there's an adrenaline dump and your heart rate is going up and down. And there's, as you go from match to match, like it wears you out. I bet at the end of that day, I bet he slept like a rock. Yeah. And, and let me say this. Hard. Yeah. I would hate to see people look at what Morrow did and go, oh, I'm going to try that because you're going to get hurt, folks. Morrow's a freak. Okay. Most people cannot keep their shoulders in shape as long as Morrow has yeah. with the kind of weights he's been shooting for the last 10 years. Is this his, uh, he's been in how many Olympics? Four? I believe four. Yeah. He's only 33. He'll be 34 later this year. Yeah. But he's probably got the shoulders of a 70 year old or will uh, soon. <laughs> you know I mean? or, or he's superhuman, you know, one of those. Things. Well, and, and that to your point. Yeah. I mean, he's extraordinary. Okay. And not to take anything away from him. I mean, most people would not be able to do what he's doing. And he is, he's a little superhuman. He's obviously, you know, doing some other stuff to try to mitigate injury, to stay strong. But boy, I'll tell you, even, even that guy, you saw him shaking on many, many shots and holding for a long time. And when he finally did cut it loose, more often than not, it was a 10. So the mental game is there, right? I mean, clearly the guy's got nerves of steel. So he finds himself up against Florian Unruh coming off a great victory. And I'll tell you what, these guys went hammer and tong in that quarterfinal. Started out with a draw. 28 to 28. Now you watched this one. What, what were you thinking? Did you, did you expect it to go the way it did? Uh, yeah. If I remember right, I picked Nespoli to be a bronze medalist. So I was expecting him to get through this. Match. So you're seeing the next pass, the next set, Florian shoots a 29, Morrow drops a 26. Now I'm going, down. Uh, you know, this is, this is not going to work out folks. But after that, it isn't that Florian shot badly. It's that Morrow stepped up his game to a degree because on the third set, we saw Morrow drop a 29 on Florian's 28. And then he kept the tide turning. Morrow drops a 28 on Florian's 26. And the final set, a draw, giving Morrow the win and putting him in the semifinals. And man, was he happy. I mean, there was no doubt you know, that was a beaming smile you saw on Mauro Nespoli getting into the semifinals. Yeah. Yeah. He shot really well. He closed it well. Um, and, you know, 27 to finish. So that, that opportunity was still there for Florian, but Mauro did what he needed to do. He got through. But to your point earlier, you expected Mauro to be in the bronze medal final. And the reason for that is because the other half of the bracket has a young guy from Chinese Taipei, Tang Chi Chung, up against the legend, Kim Woo-jin. Now, you and I both expected Kim Woo-jin would just sail right through, right? Right. Looking at this objectively, Kim Woo-jin should have sailed right through. But Tang Chi Chung did something that nobody expected. Maybe not even Tang. <laughs> Giant Slayer, right? Starts out with a draw against Kim Woo-jin in the quarterfinal, 28 to 28. Then Kim Woo-jin, for the first time in all the passes we've seen him shoot, for the first time ranked number four in even all the arrows in the ranking round, he starts putting them out in places where you don't normally see a Korean shooter putting them. Shoots a 27, while Tang Chi-chun shoots a 29. And you see... 
Kim Woo Jin's face change. And for the first time, because remember in the one eighth, Kim Woo Jin's heart rate did not exceed 90. And he shot at 90. Yeah. 30, 30, 30 wins the match. Yeah. Moves on. Shot clean. 30, 30, 30. There is no beating that if you have anything out of the 10 ring. <laughs> so he's coming into this thing off a perfect one eighth elimination round. And now he's in trouble. He's actually behind. Shoots a 27 to a 29. So now we were looking at a three to one in favor of Tang Chi Chun. Next set, Kim Woo-jin rallies a little bit, still not putting him dead center in the middle, but he shoots a 28 to Tang's 27. So we're back to par. We're at three to three. Tang Chi Chun and Kim Woo-jin tie the next set, 28 to 28. Now we're at four to four. Next guy to win the set is going to win this match and go to the semifinal up against Mauro Nespoli. What happens? Kim Woo-jin shoots another 27. Tang Chi Chun hangs on and shoots a 28. It was like a lightning bolt had struck. I couldn't believe it. I don't know about you, but I was stunned. And Kim Woo-jin, no doubt, was stunned. And the Korean team, no doubt, was stunned. Because this was the only time in the entire games of Tokyo that Korea knew that they were not going to get a sweep, which was their goal. And for this kid from Chinese Taipei to take out Kim Woo-jin was arguably almost as momentous as the Indonesian archer Aga Egatha beating Kim Woo-jin early in Rio in 2016. What do you think? I'm sure that that, that 2016 loss, you know, was lingering for him. Um, I thought once he got out of the early rounds, you know, okay, he'll, he'll settle a bit. When he shot the 90, you know, in the one-eighth round. He looked uh, unstoppable. Yeah, I'm like, okay, <laughs> this guy's going to – he's going to be making his run through. I, I thought – I thought, honestly, he'll shoot 28s, 29s, you know, and move on through this. And it's not that he shot bad. He just – he didn't – you know, he needed to shoot 28s. If he would shot 28s, he still would have lost. But it would have been – well, that's not true. He would have been in a shoot-off. If he would shot 28s the whole way through, he would have been in a shoot-off. Um, Tang averaged 28. So that, you know, that would have been the difference. But just the way the – the uh, ends played out 28s through would have been a shoot off, but I expected him to shoot some 28s, 29s and some thirties, truthfully, the way he looked. Well, I mean, I don't think anybody expected him to be shooting 27s after shooting a perfectly clean one eighth elimination. Right. So. But it happened. I mean, it's not, it's with a compound. I always say it's, it's not hard to hit the 10, but it's very easy to miss it with a recurve. It's hard to hit the 10, and it's extremely easy to miss the, the yellow. So There's another factor, and that is that there's a three-hour break mm -hmm. between when the one-eighth was shot and yeah. when the quarterfinals started. Yeah, I think you if know, they trotted them right back out, you know, 40 minutes later, it's a different story. I would tend to agree. In fact, I texted Chris Wells and I uh, – communications director for world archery were texting back and forth while this is going on because both our jaws are dropping you know and i'm like wow what a difference three hours makes <laughs> you know and uh there's no doubt about that i i think there was a factor there whether it was a matter of you know what he had for lunch or what he was going through his mind or other factors that we can't know right now it was something that i think was a factor that three-hour break the other half of the quarterfinal ranking brackets, we had Takahara Furukawa of Japan, the silver medalist from London 2012, up against Li Jiaolun of the People's Republic of China. Now, by any objective measure, Li Jiaolun should have done better than he did against Takahara Furukawa because Li ranked 11th and Takahara Furukawa ranked 46th in the ranking round. However, that was clearly an anomaly for 
Takahara Furukawa, who went on to beat the opponent from the People's Republic of China in straight sets, 29-29-29, 6-0. The fellow from China only managed 26-26-26. Wasn't even close. So now we've got Takahara Furukawa in the semifinals, right where I told him he was going to be a year ago. <laughs> I told him I, I knew he was going to shoot for a medal, but I didn't know what color it was going to be. I did the same thing in London back in, uh, we were in Japan back in 2011 at a tournament. And I told him that absolutely I thought he was going to shoot for a medal in the London games. I just didn't know what color it was going to be. Well, it turned out he did shoot for a medal and it was silver. Here, I told him the same thing, you know, one year ago when the Olympics got delayed and he, he was feeling a little low. I said, look, you got a year to get ready for this thing. You're going to get it done. You're going to be in the finals again. I don't know what color you're going to shoot for, but you're going to shoot for a medal. And you're going to win whatever medal you shoot for. And I turned out to be right once again. Once again, which gives me some good luck charm. Tell him he's going to shoot gives for me some next time. Come on. I did. You're I changing did. the guy. I, I, I kind of did, to be honest with you, but <laughs> but there you go. Anyway, now we've got Mete Gadzos up against Brady Ellison. The Wait, who, was the first, who was the first person? Meat. Oh, meat. Meat, yes. <laughs> Mete Gadzos of Turkey. By the way, youth Olympic shooter, right? A lot of folks forget that, that he shot in the youth Olympic games. And he's up against Brady Ellison. Now, we're expecting that Meta is going to do pretty well. But, you know, we're kind of figuring, well, you know, the veteran Brady Ellison, he's ready for this. He's proven to be ready for this. But let's be honest. Let's look back at the 1-8 elimination. Brady's been running hot and cold all week, right? We've seen him shoot brilliantly. And we've seen him shoot some stuff that made us scratch our heads a little. Sometimes it seemed like he was 100% there. And sometimes it seemed like maybe he just wasn't finding his stride. What do you think? Um, by the time we got to, you know, this, this day from the one eights on, it sure looked like Brady was – well, I should say through all the individual matches, it looked like he had it figured out. I don't think Brady was shooting at his best, but he was shooting competitively. So right. He wasn't out, um, you know, struggling to get through. I mean, I think he went 6-0, 6-0. Then against Jacob Wookie, he truly shot pretty good. 27, 29, 29, 28, 30. Uh, and to Wookie's credit, Wookie pushed him. Yeah. Wookie, Wookie was just did lingering not roll around. over. But yeah. we both the whole time we'd been like, man, meat or meta as I guess people call him. Uh, meta has been shooting the best. And in his one eighth match against Taylor Worth, he was relaxed. He shot 28, 30, 28, 29. And he did his signature fist pump. It's really not a fist pump, but it's like a iron fist celebration. Steve, I don't know what that thing is. It looks awkward to me, but hey. Give the guy props for coming up with something original because I've never seen anybody else do that before. You know where it stemmed from? Was I don't know. He won the Berlin World Cup probably like 2016-ish. And Dean Alberga snapped a picture. He's Dean will will say like, hey, do something, you know. And Meta had the bow up over his head. And, and he, for whatever, I don't know if it was a, a thing before that. I don't think it was. He, he put that fist up like, yeah, I won. And it was kind of a funny photo, and I think his teammates all made fun of him for it, and he just owned it. He's like, you know, yeah. I do that all the time. And now he's just – he's throwing it up like, this is my thing, and it's cool, and I don't care. And you know what? It's his thing. Forever it will yeah. be. And Yeah. I, it's I, – I, I think – If awesome. as much as he anything else, because nobody else fist. would want to – nobody else is going to really want to do that. <laughs> okay. I'm going to call it the meat fist. <laughs> so you know it, it kind of reminds me of it, it, it reminds me a little bit of the logo that hunter thompson had come up with the gonzo fist you'll have to look that up 
I will. Even, yeah. Hunter Thompson, but, Gonzo Fist. Look it up. So, so Meta throws up the meat fist. Okay, I see the Gonzo Fist. That's interesting. It's a yeah. I mean, Am it's I wrong? A thing. It's a thing. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Meta just. Uh, I mean, frankly, he destroyed Taylor Worth. It was. Yeah. It was. Uh, you know, they hung around. They tied the first set, and then it was all Meta after that. And he, you know, he throws up the meat fist, and he's like smiling, joking around. And people are texting you and I like, what was that that he just did? And they're, 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 at, they're like, what is he doing? Is this guy, you know, is there something wrong with this guy? <laughs> <laughs> or amongst other questions. And we, you know, I had to explain to people, it's just kind of his thing. It's kind of his joke, you know. Yeah, and I just like, do. He's come up with something unique and we'll just leave it at that. Yeah, I think it's awesome. We all need our own shtick, right? And he, he yeah. had it. Because I kind of doubt he's a Hunter Thompson fan. I kind of doubt that. I don't know who Hunter Thompson is, and I doubt he does. But Oh, you're missing out on so much great literature. You really need to up your literature game if you don't know who Hunter Thompson is. Anyway. Uh, well, anyway, Meat, moving looked, on. Meat looked great. He was so yeah. He was he was having fun. I don't think anyone That's, else had fun out there, except maybe Nesby. Steve, Steve, you really keyed in on something important. I don't know whether the other people were having fun or not. At least Meet Meta looked like he was having fun the whole time, right? Yeah. Now I'll tell you else. I'll tell you who else looked like they were having fun was um, Mac Mackenzie Brown looked like she was having yes. fun. Yes. When she was shooting well, she had a big grin on her face. It was awesome to see. But back to where we are with Brady versus Meta. Meta starts out with a twenty-seven. Brady starts out with a twenty-six. And Brady's looking a little perplexed about the 26, at least to my eye. I, I've known the guy for a long time. He, he looked like he wasn't sure what was going on. Now, the wind was really not that much of a factor now. It was a lot better in that afternoon session than it had been in the previous days. There was a little bit of wind, but not anything that would push your arrow or even push the archer at all. So Manta starts out with a 27. You know, obviously got some nerves. I think his heart rate was up in maybe 130s, 140s. Brady's got a 26. Next set. Meta shoots at 28. Brady shoots at 28. So now Meta is up three to one. Next set. And, and we're looking at this one going, ah, here it comes. Brady wins the set, 28-27. So we're 3-3. Three, three. And we're looking at that and we're going, ah, Meta's in trouble. Meta will be shooting for bronze. And wow, what a great opportunity for Brady, because quite frankly, if I had to, you know, throw a dollar on it, I'd tell you that Brady would take uh, Maro Nespoli any given day of the week. But yeah, then, I mean, they, 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 then, they all want to have that, that instead of uh, instead of Kim Woo-jin. Oh, Tang Chi-chun did everybody a big favor taking out Kim Woo-jin. You got to figure, right? Suddenly, we're looking at a situation here where inexplicably Brady is scattering them. And Meta takes advantage. He shoots a 27 to Brady's 26. So now, Meta Gazos is on the cusp of beating Brady Ellison with one set to go. And what happens? Brady shoots. 29, Meta completely closes the door with a huge smile on his face. He shoots a 30, and there's nothing Brady can do. Brady is done at the quarterfinals. I would argue a devastating moment for USA Archery and a huge moment for the Turkish Federation, which has never had an Olympic medal at all. Now they know they at least have a shot at an Olympic medal with Mete Gazots getting into the semifinals. They don't know if he's going to shoot for bronze or if he's going to shoot for gold. They just know he's going to shoot for an Olympic medal. A huge moment for the Turkish Archery Federation. Yeah, for Turkey, who's been so central to world archery, you know, as it is... Uh... Dr. Erdner is the president with Antalya World Cup 
virtually every year. And, you know, I think we've had two world championships in Turkey in the last decade, a world cup final. Um, and don't forget, don't forget things like world cup finals and things like world championships when organizers that had previously been committed to putting on those events stepped out for whatever reason, Turkey stepped up at the last minute and right. put on several events. Right. Uh, and, and yeah. I think might... the Sam soon one, the Sam soon world cup final was one of those scenarios. Someone backed Correct. out. Remember, right. Correct. Huge deal for, for, you know, I mean, I don't know if any other federation, maybe Korea, but I don't know if any other federation could pull things off the way Turkey has in the last 20 years. Yeah, they've just been a it's been a great spot for people to to grow in archery, people all over the place because they host European championships. You know, a lot of people have had the opportunity to go to Turkey, experience Turkey, the real one, not the one they hear only the bad stories about on TV and uh, and shoot archery there. And it just seems like the Turkish Federation itself has been improving steadily. And I think you get you get the snowball effect where when you start having some success, you get to watch, you know, say you get to watch a guy or a girl do well. And then pretty soon someone else in another division does well. And I can point at men's compound has had two archers that have been pretty good. Yeah. Women's, women's recurve had, too. Yeah. Women's recurve has uh Anagaz shooting well. And yeah, absolutely. Women's, women's compound, compound you're about one. to bring up. Yep. Yeah. They've both, got both time. Yep. They've got a, a full stable of, of archers that are starting to get pretty darn competitive and uh, meta starting to get competitive in world cups when he was, you know, 18 years old winning world cups. Um, you can kind of see good things to come for them. Absolutely. They're on a roll. And this is certainly going to be a boost as we, uh, as we'll talk about oh, yeah. semifinal matches. Now you've got Maro Nespoli up against the giant slayer, Tang Chi Chun, the guy who just beat Kim Wu Jin. I, you know, looking at that situation, I'm expecting Tang to do pretty well. But remember how experienced Maro is. Yeah. Starts out with a 29 to Mr. Tang's 27. And that's simply Maro keeping his eye on the ball. There's a little bit of like, okay, I'm experienced, but there's also a little bit of Maro going, heck yeah, this is not the guy I was expecting. Yes. And I don't know if this guy can hold it up again, you know? Yes. Yes. That, and that's and not I think that comes with experience. Yeah, it's not to be disrespectful to Tang. No, by no means. It's just the way it is. You, you know, you look at there's – a, there's a shot of confidence and a little positive energy boost when you're all of a sudden not shooting against the guy who shot a 700, Kim Woo Jin. Absolutely. And you're looking at a situation here where Tang's probably still got, you know, after effects from having that overwhelming – energy dump that has to come with what he had just accomplished. Yeah. So Nestle starts out strong, 29-27. Because keep in mind, we aren't – now we're just going back-to-back -back matches. When it, there was no break now. I mean, they were 30 minutes, 40 minutes maybe. Yeah, important point. You're right. And this was one of the first ones. So uh, now you're looking at a situation where Nespoli's got the two-point advantage. But Tang turns around and shoots a 30 to Nespoli's 28. 30 is usually and Nespoli's kind of scratching his head a little bit there, you know. Um, so now you're looking at a 2-2 draw. Turns out that was the only two points that Tang was going to get. Nespoli shoots a 28-27 to 27 and then finishes with a 29-28. to 28. So it's not like yeah, Tang rolled over. No. Real close, just, real good close, but not, you know, yeah. uh, just not keeping up with Mario Nespoli. Who just, how many times it, – it's hard to close in these matches. I mean, how many times did we watch a match – Someone's up 4-0. You're like, oh, they're crushing. And then they then they give up two points. And they give up one point. Now all of a sudden it's 5-3. Like, wow, this is a different game, you know? Yeah. And it is a different game, both mentally and physically at that point, right? I mean, you're just dealing with all the the adrenaline. You're dealing with all of the pressure. At the end here, now imagine how Mauro Nespoli must be satisfied. He's in the gold medal final. Yep. You know, you know, the worst thing that can happen to you at this point is you become a silver medalist at the Olympic yeah. Games. That's yeah. the worst and, day you can have now. Yeah. And he's Italian. So you know what? 
the value of a silver medal is just about right there with the value of a gold medal. Just about right there, you know, a, a bronze medal, any Olympic medal is a big deal. Of course, a gold yeah. medal counts for more. But in, in European culture, generally speaking, an Olympic medalist gets the same respect no matter what the color is. So Morrow has, has done it as far as that goes, right? He's going to have an Olympic right. medal. The yep. color, not inconsequential, but the color doesn't matter as much as it does in American culture. It matters Arguably. most that he's an Olympic medalist individually now. Absolutely. And that's, and that's it. Without him having to shoot one more arrow, he's an Olympic medalist. The other half of the bracket, you've got Takahara Furukawa versus one of your favorite shooters, Mete Gadzos. And it does not start out well for Takaharu. Meta shoots a 27. Normally, I would say Takaharu would be able to take advantage of that, but he didn't. 27 to 25, first set goes to Meta Gazos. Takaharu comes back with a 27. Meta shoots one point higher. So now it's 4-0 in favor of Meta Gazos. And this is the and exact this is situation where I said it's freaking hard to close. He's up yes. 4-0. Be like, all right, you know. He's, he's going to punch his ticket. Not so fast. He's up 4-0. And, and you know what? I can't watch at this point. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm stressed out because, you know, Takahara is my friend and I don't want to see what's about to happen. That's your homie. Yeah, he's my homie. <laughs> he turns out to tie the next set to stay alive. So now he's got to do the hardest thing there is to do, which is to come back from a 5-1 deficit. And, you know, he's in this situation where he's just got to put the pressure on Meta. Meta just has to keep shooting the way he's shooting. Yep. Takahiro comes back with a 29. Meta only manages a 28. But when it comes to closing, when it comes to closing, you got to hand it to Meta Gazos. You got to. Drops another yeah. 30. He does it again. Same thing that he did to Brady Ellison. Yep. Takaharu manages a 29. Meta comes back with that 30. Boom. 7-3 victory. He earned it, Steve. All day. He never is. Nobody, lost nobody can tell me. And he averaged 28 and a half. Or he lost four set points, averaging 28 and a half. Well, he lost three set points, averaging 28 and a half. Nobody can tell me that kid did not earn his place on that final podium. Nobody. Because he came back twice against two great shooters when he had to with three tens. Closed the door with three tens. Champions do that. So now we're in the bronze medal match. We have Takahara Furukawa. He's already got a bronze medal from earlier in the week in the men's team round. He's already got an Olympic silver medal from London 2012. If he can win the bronze, he will be the most decorated Olympic archer in Japan. Passing Yamamoto. On sheer medal count, yes. Tang he would also with have, yeah, because they would both be they would both be silver medalists and bronze medalists, correct? Individually? Correct. Uh, Yamamoto did it in a different sequence. Yamamoto won a bronze medal in 88 and a silver medal in 04, which is a pretty respectable gap in there, by the way. Yeah. Furukawa <laughs> won the silver medal in 2012, and now we're about to talk about what happens going into this bronze medal final. Tang opens with a 28. Furukawa opens with a 29. Furukawa looking strong. Tang also shooting pretty well, but not quite as strong as he looked up against Kim Woo-jin back in the quarterfinals. Next set, Tang drops a 29 on Furukawa's 27. Next set, a draw, 28 to 28. And then Takahara Furukawa, feeling the pressure of the world, drops a 29 on Tang's 28. And then, last set, Takahara Furukawa sad. drops a 29 on Tang's 28. Now, arguably, that's not as good as Meta Gazos dropping 30s, 
but being able to drop a 29 when you need it is just about as good. Seven, three match. That's the hardest match. Bronze medal match. That's exactly the point I was going to next, Steve. Talk about that a little bit because you've been in those positions before. I have too, but you've overcome them. Well, the pressure of a bronze medal match is different. (laughs) Sometimes I've overcome them. Um, yeah, I've only won a couple bronze medal matches. I can I can tell you the pressure is worse yeah. than it is in a gold medal match. Yeah. Um, I in, in world championships, I've been in bronze medal matches twice. One was my first ever world championships uh, in Croatia. And I lost in a one-arrow shoot-off in that match to uh, Slavko Tursic, I think his last name is. And yep. I've never been more disappointed than I was after that match. I've never been so mad at archery than I was after that match. Um, For some reason, you know, I I never found myself in too many bronze medal matches up until probably 98 or so. I think I was in the Texas shootout. I found myself in the bronze medal match, howling wind, you know, just a hammering wind like you can get in Texas. Mm-hmm. I finished fourth by a point or two. And that was a, like you just pointed out, just such a disappointment. You're almost mentally, you're almost better off not having gotten into the match. Yeah. And you look at other sports. I think I know boxing does not have a bronze medal match. Um, I think wrestling typically doesn't do it. They might do it at the Olympics, but they just award everyone the bronze medal. And that's not, you know, I, I don't know if I, um, uh, if I love that. <laughs> no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't like that at all in archery. I would not like that yeah. at all in archery. I, I wouldn't I'd much rather say I, I was a just given it. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, thank you. Cause the next Appreciate time, it. the next major, I mean, I lost another, a world cup bronze. I, I won a world cup bronze against Martin Damsbo. I lost a world cup bronze against Braden one time in a shoot off. Um, and then 2018 world field, I won a, I won world field bronze that year. And that, yeah, that was, and, that and was that's what year. I was alluding to actually. Yeah. They just kind of, it really jacked up the way the format worked. And I think all the number one seeds lost, if I remember right. And I was a number one seed and I lost. So I, I had to go, we, we were basically slotted directly into the semifinals and we had to go up against people who had already shot the course and we had not shot the course. And that's, that was just a huge disadvantage and all the number one seats lost. So we, we all go to the bronze medal match and now everyone shoots a new course, you know, and, and I went and shot the highest score on that. And I was kind of, <laughs> I was still mad. I won the match, but I was still mad about it, you know? And so bronze medal matches, they just suck. Well, it's quite often the case where the bronze medal finals have higher scores shot than the gold medal finals. And partly because of the pressure differential, uh, partly because you've really got to perform to win that bronze medal. I'm not saying that's the case for these particular Olympic Games, but if you look at the actual scores, yeah, once again, um, pretty darn we'll get good. to this. Yeah, pretty darn good, you know. Gold medal finals got Mauro Nespoli of Italy versus Metagazos of Turkey. Do you happen to know what Meta's bow weight is by any chance? No, I would guess like every other Olympic recurve male, it's probably 48 to 52. Yeah, or 46, 47, 48, given his build. I mean, it's hard to say, but uh, you're looking at, you know, a 60, a, a, t- a 10 pound differential, right? From Mauro Nespoli. Not that bow weight matters, but, you know, I mean, it is a 10 pound differential. Meta is a slightly built person, relatively speaking, to Mauro Nespoli. He's one of those and, wiry, sinewy kids. I, I imagine yes. he's super strong for his his weight. His power to weight yes. ratio is probably through the roof. Yes, agreed, hundred percent. And really good alignment, by the way. Notice that his form is solid. So Metagazos, Maro Nespoli, shooting for the gold medal. Maro comes out of the gate swinging, twenty nine twenty six. I didn't That's, see Metagazos get upset about that. <laughs> that was his one. I mean, I, I don't remember him shooting a 26 the whole time. I'd have to look back through, but that was definitely 
you know, you're like, oh, oh boy, he's in the gold medal match now, you know. Yeah, he did not he shoot didn't. 26 at any point. Correct. Shot a number of yep. 27s, but no 26s. Correct. So he shoots a 26 to start. All right. He gets one, right? I mean, he's in the freaking gold medal final at the Olympic Games. Next one, Mario Nespoli drops a 28. Meta matches it. So now we're at 3-1 in favor of Mauro. Yep. Meta shoots a 27. It's Mauro's turn for a 26. Yeah, and Mauro would have been shooting second at that point. So I I don't remember the actual arrow free, uh, sequence, but it, it seems to me like he probably had the chance to win that. Correct. tie it. Correct. Um, and it just didn't happen. It did not. That Next was the set. turning point. Yes, it was, because they're drawn now, 3-3. Three, three. Next set. They draw on the set, 29-29, 4-4. That, that kind of hurts you because you're like, man, I thought shooting a 29, I'd, I'd, probably, get a, I'd probably get a set win. But nope. Yep. Final regulation set. This is going to go one of two ways. You're going to have a winner or you're going to have a shoot-off. Quite frankly, I'm expecting a shoot-off, right? I'm looking at this and I'm like, there's going to be a shoot off. Uh -uh. Seems to be the thing that would happen. Yep. Morrow falters. Meta does not. Yep. Morrow shoots a 26. Meta shoots a 29. But the way it worked out, Meta was first. And they yes, were, yes. as it came to Meta's last arrow. So I think Morrow was at 18. And Meta was at 19. So he knows yes. he knows if he shoots a 10, he's the Olympic he's champion. Olympic champion. And he said afterwards, he said, I've shot that arrow every day at the practice field. Yes. And that's cool. The visualization of you know four or five years of or you know, maybe even before his last Olympics, that visualization, and now he really gets to live it. So meta. Delivers on the promise of hard work, obviously great mental preparation, and just sheer ability, you know? Yeah, I Real guess he'd, under also, pressure. he'd called it. He told his teammates after Rio that he would be the Olympic champion in Tokyo. And they, they said that he said, until it's done. That was what he said about it until it's done. So I guess he was out, you know, busting his butt, working hard, probably out working everybody else on the field and making the rest of the team better because they were following his lead, I imagine. And uh, you're done. right. He did it. <laughs> One wonders what would have happened if they'd managed to qualify a full team. Yeah, I just they don't, they don't have the horses behind him right now. And, you know, I think we would have expected, uh, you know, mixed team opportunity there. But uh, I don't think too many outside observers would have completely counted on the gold medal. Um, I have a friend who's a coach. I, I won't say what country and I won't say what, uh, you know, uh, who he is because there could be repercussions. But he has a habit before every Olympics of writing down. <laughs> what he thinks is going to happen and then sealing those prognostications into an envelope. Uh, we did a FaceTime call the other day and he opened the envelope. Meta was his gold medal pick. Yeah. And we, we talked about Meta before, you know, and like I said, it was it unexpected. Yeah. I think everyone expected Brady or a Korean to win this. Um, but was it surprising? No, not at all. If you've watched this kid shoot the last few years, he's got game. Right. And that's the bottom line. That's what it takes. So, yeah, if we consider everybody that uh, found themselves in this situation, we, we did have a lot of the cream of the crop, but we had so many surprises. The elimination of Ojin Hyuk. The elimination of Kim Woo-jin. Uh, you know, some countries that we expected to perform well, not performing all that well. 
we did see China have a finalist, um, you know, in the uh, in the quarterfinals. But uh, at the end of the day, China, you know, it looks like they've got a bit of a reset to consider. Uh, I, I will yeah. say that I don't know I, I enough about their team, but we do know what about one team, and that's the USA. I, I don't know what to say about the USA situation. Really happy for Mackenzie Brown finishing fourth, right? But it's not a medal. Um, USA shut out of these games for the first time in quite a while, you know, because remember the USA men won the silver medal in London as a team. We really are in a position here, and Brady Ellison, of course, won the bronze medal at the Olympic Games in Rio in 2016. And Team Silver. And the Team Silver, again. Um, I think there were a lot of expectations because we had a strong team. You know, the women's team was strong, too. We had expectations, certainly, for the mixed team. Uh, You know, not to point fingers, but Brady kind of did not seem to meet to hit his stride in the mixed team round. That was my impression. I don't think... uh... McKenzie I don't think shot they, pretty they well. were able to figure out the wind, and that I'm not yeah, going to hold a, that against anybody. I've gone oh, no, into no, no. By no finals means. field and just left there completely, completely perplexed about the whole thing. You feel like you've made good shots, and they just don't land. And eventually, there's like nothing you can do about it. So that happens, yeah. and that's the problem with judging so much on the Olympics is it's a blip on the radar, right? It's a there's a million other tournaments that happened between the Olympics and, but that's, I mean, at the same time we put our eggs in that basket because that's, that's what we judge a lot of the success off of. And, you know, well, and to be frank, to be just off that. And it's, it's also a big deal regarding cash flow from the USOC to USA archery. Yep. You know, having at least a medal would have been a big difference in terms of, of cash flow. And, you know, we'll probably be talking to Rod Menzer about some of this stuff maybe, but uh, the, the bottom line is let's hope we do well at the world championship in Yankton in, in just under two months, because um, you know, Brady doing well at the world cup and making the world cup final. That's great. Right. Really good. It's not the same as, as meddling at the Olympic games by any means. And I'm not trying to be no. negative. I'm, I'm simply pointing no, out that, I, yeah. you know, we had the opportunity, right? We had a, a, a really solid team. Casey and Jennifer did pretty well. And um, we certainly saw uh, Jack do pretty well. And Wookie, I got to tell you, Wookie's my hero. You know, he, he held Brady. He kept Brady honest all the way to the last arrow. Yeah. In their yeah, as a whole, you probably have to look at it and say that was a disappointment as a whole. Yeah, I'm sorry to say it, but yeah, because yeah. the potential was there for so much more. And unfortunately, you know, just just didn't turn out that way. And, yeah. I, I, you know, again, this is nothing about any individuals involved. I thought Chris Webster did a great job as coach for the women. I thought Kiseek did his usual great job as coach for the men. But at the end of the day the results are, are what people are looking at. And, you know, you don't have full control over that, but looking at this objectively, yeah, this was a, this was a disappointment. I don't think anybody can say it wasn't. Yeah. And the, the coaches will be judged off of that. And, and uh, there's going to be a lot of finger pointing. There's already been, you know, in the usual places, right. You've already got plenty of finger pointing from losers, but (laughs) yes. (laughs) Right. For people, who, me, she, the one thing I always say, you you really, it's hard to go and point the finger at the individuals that are actually shooting unless they blatantly did something like they, you know, they were screwing around, not practicing, you know, their attention was elsewhere, uh, yeah. which we've seen, we've seen that before. Um, yeah. But when they go and they, they do everything they're asked of, of them by, you know, their coaching staff or whoever, and it just doesn't work out, then, you know, a lot like other sports, you know, if you're, I look at the, the Philadelphia 76ers in the NBA, 
right now they, they go into the playoffs are usually one of the top ranked teams the last couple of years. And then they just disappoint in the playoffs. And is that the player's fault? I mean, they, or, or was it a lack of, was it a coach's issue? You know, the coaches didn't have them prepared properly for playoff basketball, which is different. Or, you know, you could say, well, the players didn't respond to what the coaches said or, or the change in strategy. It, it's very hard to point the finger, but ultimately in most professional sports, the players are who you have, right? The players are who they are. The, the thing that's easiest to swap out is, is coaches. And that's how, it, yeah. that's how it plays out. I'm not saying yeah. that that's what should happen here, but ultimately the coaches need to have these people as prepared as possible. When I think that they did to a degree, I really do. I, I just think that they, you know, because of the combination of factors, not making excuses. Okay. But I think that the team that we sent there arguably was as good a team as you could have. Yeah. Now somebody might say, ah, well, they should have sent Matt Nofel or they should have done this or they should have done that. We had a very thorough, very thorough Olympic trials process. Unlike say 2004, where it was one and done. Best and teams we've disaster. sent in a long time. Yeah. 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 Best team we've sent in a long time through one of the hardest crucibles. And, and let's not forget another factor. Going back to the very beginning of the discussion here, this was not a normal Olympic Games. These people could hear everything on that field. They were 100% the focus of attention on that field. They could hear every camera shutter. They could hear every sound from their opponent. They could hear every creak in the stands, which were empty. Every I have a feeling of- that may have affected some athletes and some of our athletes here in the U.S. may have affected them more than more than we know. That is my feeling as well. And having spoken to a few of the shooters, I can tell you for sure it affected some people. Uh, and it affected some people positively and it affected some people negatively. Yeah. And I, there's no doubt in my mind it was a factor. And that me, even perhaps we could have seen some differences had there been a crowd. Yeah. I mean, to me, it looked like Meta turned the whole finals field into his practice field at home, you know, in Antalya. To degree. It to just degree. looked like he was out there like, whatever, we're just shooting. I you know? kind of feel like he would have been fine with a crowd, though. He's a, I think he's he would have played to it. He seems to be a showman, but he, he I don't think he needs it. You know, right. whereas other people right. need that energy. I remember watching Justin Hewish, his matches, you know, he was pumping the crowd up. He's trying to get everything going, get it loud. Yep. Some people really feed off of that. Hey, just as a diversion, real quick, the Buckeye Classic just took place. Guess who was in the gold medal final? Uh, Justin Hewish. Really? Justin Hewish shot ended up with a silver medal, but freaking Justin Hewish, man, that boy <laughs> is that boy is working on coming back, and he's serious. And he shot in the Buckeye Classic in Ohio, and just took the silver medal yesterday. So props to him because I think you know what he keeps this up. At the very least, it's going to inspire some people to pick up their bows, and I think that's an awesome thing. Yeah, that's freaking cool. Very cool. But anyway, back to uh, back to Tokyo. Uh, you back know to what? The Meta, pointing. <laughs> finger pointing is easy finger pointing yeah. is easy my my last it's, thought on that i think it just sometimes you go out and no one does anything wrong and that's just the way it is and like i said I think you I people think right steve people easily point the finger at the coaches because they want their guy in or they don't like coach lee's style or whatever but Sometimes things just sometimes you just go have a bad tournament. You know, they might go to the world championships and crush souls. And, and uh, you don't know, you don't know. It's just hard to say. Hey, I'm going to say this. I think it was a you got to consider that Mackenzie Brown had the highest placement of any American born woman in the Olympic Games since 1976. If that's not progress, I don't know what is. Yeah. I, I think the women get a huge boon off of this because Mackenzie, I talked to her a little bit and she said, you know what? I'm super happy with it. And I thought that was great because you don't know how someone's going to be with a, fin- a fourth place finish. That's just, I mean, right. for me, for me, it, it would be, I would just be pissed off and angry for ever. Um, yeah. But remember you're talking about one of the better grounded people in our game. Yes, I think it, I think this has Mackenzie probably excited to go home and get better. 
and, and everyone else is going to have to follow. Yep. Everyone else is going to have to follow. And that's what's next. Yankton and the world championship right here in the United States. The, the next major event. Uh, there's another down the major street event. from Stockman's cattle yard. Talk, talk to me about this uh, because I, I really think if I do go to Yankton, restaurant options are going to be important. It, it's actually kind of underrated, truthfully. Um, not that bad. There's some good options. There's, you know, there's one, if you really needed to, there's a, it's a pretty good place down by the riverside where right by where the finals are going to be held. My understanding. Yep, I know that place because I've taken the yeah. Japanese team there. You can go there seven days in a row and be fine. Yep. Agreed. That's a really so, good place. They have a decent wine list too. Here's the thing about Yankton. It's an underrated archery place because the whole town gets around it. Yep. They, they welcome everyone in the governor. I mean, the governor gets behind it for a tournament like Rushmore rumble with, you know, 1100 people or whatever it had. So Obviously, at World Championships, they're going to be putting forth their best effort. Absolutely. Uh, um, and well, oh, and the venue, you know, the, the facilities are nice. They're nice, so that's not a problem. The uh, the weather can sometimes be crappy. I mean, it'd be pretty good that time of year, though. Let's see. I mean, I've been there in September when it was 30 mile an hour winds and I've been there when it was dead calm. So last, <laughs> the last well, couple we can say the same thing. We can say the same thing about Turkey. Can't we? <laughs> yeah. Anywhere. So typically anywhere we, we like to have archery tournaments, which are wide open fields and stuff. You, you can see some heavy winds. Um, sure. Hard, hard to fit a, a world championships in a forested area. So yeah, I, I think it'll be I think it'll be fun. I hope a lot of nations get to participate. Um, I hope they send teams. You know, that's the one thing. Sometimes after the Olympics, a lot of these federations have blown their budget and they just kind of shut it down for the year. So it, it's a rare opportunity, though, to have a world championship the same year as the Olympics. In fact, as far as I know, the only opportunity for this. You know, he's. Uh... He's flying right now, but Guy Matskin, one of our favorite people in the sport, Guy uh, responded to your comment on Facebook. Uh, surprised to hear that we were talking about him in the couple of previous podcasts. And so I think he's, uh, <laughs> he's going to have some entertaining stuff to listen to. Uh, well, I also asked him, if, I asked him if he would be on with us. He said, yeah, he would love to do that. So yep. we'll have so him. It'd be awesome to have him on. He said some stuff about in his, you know, he had a kind of a, a wrap up of his Olympics as a coach. And he said he really thanked Ite, who was the Cinderella boy of the, of the, show, of, the Olymp, uh, of men's Olympic archery. He said, I, I thank him for trusting me because I had some un- unorthodox stuff that we put him through. I think it would be I interesting to, to hear to those him. stories. Absolutely. Yeah, there, I, I will look lot. forward to hearing you guys talk because that's going to be, um, I think, a very insightful an interesting thing from what Braden Galantine called what was it? What was the term he used for guy? The most intellectual sportsman of, of archery, he, something like that. Said something about his intelligence level. Yes. Yeah, he's not um, wrong. Guy's a bright guy. Well, and think about this. You know, think about the the unrest that was going on in Israel just you know six oh, yeah. weeks ago, and they were trying yeah. to train for an Olympics while dealing with that. Yeah. You know. I mean, yeah. I get maybe Ite just got to Japan. He's like, oh, sweet. You know, there's no rockets I'm being gonna... launched. <laughs> that's, oh, I'm sorry not to laugh. But yeah, I mean, that's certainly a, a different feeling when you get to Japan. Yeah, let's have we'll have Guy on maybe maybe for the next one. That'd be awesome. Let's see if we can set it up. I'll leave it to you. OK. All right. In the meantime. Um, we will be doing more to uh, keep up with what's happening in Yankton. We'll get you some previews, folks. And we'll be talking to Bruce pretty soon uh, to see how the organization is working out. We'll also have a debrief with Tom Dillon from World Archery. And we're going to have Dean Alberga back on to share some of his moments. So lots of uh, great folks lined up for the podcast in the next couple of weeks. And uh, don't miss it. Thanks for joining us. 
Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review. It helps other people find the podcast. We're also available on Spotify. Steve, any closing thoughts before we uh, wrap up our discussion of Tokyo 2020? No, that was a very official sounding close. It almost sounded like you were reading from a script. I wasn't. That was completely off the top of my head. You sounded like you sounded like a lot of those other podcasters who were, you know, doing it, trying to get big subs and money and things like that. <laughs> well, you know what? Maybe we should be thinking about that going forward. Because... Well, I truly, <laughs> how many people downloaded the last show? It was like 10,000 or, I mean, it was a lot, right? It was. Yeah, it was. It was actually uh, surprisingly. We don't know nice. the real number. No, nobody really knows the real numbers of podcasts. Unlike some media organs, podcasts are actually hard to measure. But yeah, we had a surprising number of podcast downloads just from one server uh, on the last episode. So um, Jay thinks I, we're I'm probably just saying getting, I appreciate it. I'm just yeah. saying I appreciate it. That's all. Jay thinks we're getting like 15,000. Yeah, I, I, it's hard to say because you've got to factor in Spotify, Apple, Podbean, and a bunch of other aggregators, because the podcast actually gets picked up once it's on the Podbean server. It gets picked up by a bunch of different aggregators. And um, so it, it becomes very difficult to measure how many downloads on each one of those. So it, I, I don't know. It's complicated. I thought we had like 30 people listening, which is why I was totally willing to say whatever I wanted and screw off and go off topic and now, then you told me the other day, you're like, hey, hour one, we got 7,000 downloads. And I was like, what? Yeah. You know, like there's 7,000 people at least listening to so this. Does that, does that actually make you reconsider some of the things we've said in the past? Absolutely not. I stand behind all my comments probably. <laughs> <laughs>